Welcome to another Macquarie Life Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. Okay, so this morning, as Ros said, my topic is the authority of Scripture, or is the Bible true? Um, and, and up the, the first slide that's going to come up is a statement of faith come from our ACC website about what we believe as a denomination about the Word of God. And I'm not going to read it all for the sake of time, but you can go there any time and read it, or you can take a little photo now if you want to take a photo and read it at home. But basically what it says is, as a denomination, we believe um, in the inerrancy of Scripture. We believe that this is the total Word of God that is authoritative and it is relevant to our everyday lives. Amen? Okay. (laughs) But the Bible, you know, is constantly coming under criticism. And even, this is not a new thing though, it constantly goes in in waves and um, is constantly under criticism, but it's good for us to know and ask ourselves the question, why do I believe the Bible's true? Because every conversation you might have with someone around Christianity will basically end up at that point. Because if they ask you what God's like and you tell them about his love, and you, you know, maybe sh- they, they might say, well, ha- where did you get that information? How did you find that out? And what would you say? I read it in the Bible. <laughs> At that point, no matter where you started any conversation, it usually ends up with that. Oh, I got that information from the Bible. And then they might say, well, how do you know the Bible's true? Now, at that point, if you say, um, oh, I don't know, or just because... <laughs> always a good one or mum told me now I'm a good source of authority on a lot of things okay mum told me but um, not on that 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 will not help that conversation move forward and so we get a bit wobbly but I'm here to tell you this morning you need to be confident in God's word and you can be and that's what we're going to talk about I want our confidence to grow you know in the writer of Hebrews says this do not throw away your confidence it will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. And confidence there means freedom in speaking. Boldness, it means. And it particularly where it comes to speaking, our voice. And I do know that in Acts, when the Holy Spirit came upon um, the disciples, they were bold because they knew that what they had experienced was true. It all came together at that point and it brought boldness. And that's my goal this morning, is to build your confidence as far as the Bible goes and help you find your voice. Um, And, and yeah, when maybe our confidence has been eroded, we end up going quiet, just like Deb makes us pull back. So... For the basis of my response, I'm going to read to you from 2 Peter 1. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honour and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable and you will do well to pay attention to it. As to a light shining in a dark place, 
until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things, for prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so my basis for responding to the question, how do you know the Bible's true, is coming from that passage. So, first of all, straight up, I believe the Bible's true because it is a reliable collection of historical documents made up of 66 books written by 44 authors in three different languages over three different continents during a period of 1,500 years. Yet it has a coherent unity. It has a progressive revelation from Genesis to Revelation that develops God's plan of redemption for mankind. That coherent unity screams out or argues strongly for a single author. And just as Peter said, men spoke as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And that's what we believe about the scriptures, that God is the one who penned these words. So two questions. So it's good to ask ourselves how reliable is our Bible Uh, Because everything we learn about God's character, everything we learn about Jesus Christ comes from the New Testament. And so, like I said before, many people have criticised scriptures and some people make their life's quest to speak against the Bible. One of those people, you're you're going to see a chart come up. One of those people was Josh McDowell. And he was in his second year of law at university and he decided to do his paper on how can I prove that Christianity is untrue. And in doing so, he became a Christian. (laughs) And, you know, I think 200 books later, he's one of the great apologists that we have, in apologetics that we have in, in being able to reason through the scriptures in this modern day. It's like a Paul, really, conversion of him. And so here we have, this is, his, this is from his book, the evidence that he gathered. You can see that the two questions they asked to validate something historical is the time span that you have between when the events happened and, and the date of the record that we have. And the other question is, how many copies of that do we have? So let's go straight up to the best one we've got there, which is Caesar's Gallic Wars. And we know that that all happened around 100 to 44 BC. And the earliest copy we have is AD 900. And so there's a thousand year time gap. And we have 10 copies. Yet I don't think anyone would be jumping up in history at school and saying, I don't know about the validity of these historical documents. (laughs) Yet everyone does that for our Bible. Yet have a look at the New Testament down there. Just just have a quick look, okay? Time span, 25 years. Number of copies, 24,000. So, I mean, don't let... I don't want you... Let your confidence begin to rise when you see that chart... And it's even more extensive than that. We could have so much more on there. Um, But that just shows you that the New Testament and your Bible far and above, okay, ticks the box as far as historical reliability goes. There is no other comparison in any other literature, whether it be religious or secular, in the whole of human history. Okay, we feeling confident? (laughs) 
Okay, if you're going to discredit our New Testament, you need to discredit all history. My new favourite's not even up there on that list. It's Socrates, the writings of Socrates. If Socrates was up there, it would say number of copies, zero. No writings. Yet you probably all know that name and have heard that name and been taught for those who've been to university about the writings of Socrates. There are none. There is only what had been quoted by Plato to build a case around his writings. Amazing. So don't let, you know, I don't want you not to be confident about your, your Bible. The critics will say the multi, there's multiple translations. It's been like, like a bad video where you've copied it 10,000 times. It's lost its original message. They don't understand how a translation is made. A translation is made from an original copy and the better ones we get, the better translations we get. And all the, I don't, I'm telling you, there wouldn't be, until we get hundreds of translations, we'll never get the full depth of the meaning of the scriptures of God. It's a deep well that will never, ever be fathomed. We'll never get there. And all of them together give us a beautiful picture of the scriptures. So you can be confident in that. And also, I just want to quickly say about the um, church leader. Leaders have edited the scriptures. This is the basis for the Da Vinci Code, that movie. And um, made a great movie, but not really based on fact. So the church leaders, they made it all up, all the divinity of Christ. They wrote in the miracles and made him divine. And can you understand the craziness of that when you look at that? So within 25 years of these being written, these are all over the world. They'd have to go and get, they were written in Coptic, Latin, um, all of those, yeah, all of those languages there. And they would have to find 24,000 original copies and change them all. Because this is, we're talking 300 years later. This is all stuff's all over the world. And even if they were able to do that and get rid of every single original translation, there's... They could rebuild our Bible from all of the quotes that are in the early church fathers. So that's people writing sermons, that's people writing letters, and they would quote scripture in it. And we can reconstruct this thing to 98% just from their quotes. So how's that? It stands up. Why do I believe the Bible's true? It was written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. You can, you can shout a tall story about what happened in the football game on the weekend. But it might not go too far when the other guys on the team hear it. <laughs> and they say, well, hang on a minute. I need to clarify something here. Um, bring a bit of truth to it. Everything Jesus did was public. He even did his miracles in front of people that absolutely hated him. You know, and were against him. And would have done anything to discredit who he was. And so... Everything that was written in our New Testament could be challenged. And Paul even tells us there's 500 people at one time saw the risen Christ. And so no wonder they could not... That, that death that Jesus was just a fake just did not hit because he had seen it. So many people could stand up and say that that was true. Far from being a myth or a fairy tale, uh, the Bible's full of dates and places and names, all things that could be checked. And what does Luke say? 
Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, does this sound like a fairy tale to you? It seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know with certainty the things you have been taught. The Bible, you need to be confident in your Bible. The Bible can't be backed up by science. Uh, I agree with that statement because you can't test history through a scientific method because you can't do the experiment. You can't observe it. You can't repeat it. You can't measure it. You have to use a different method. You have to use what they call an evidentiary method. You have to look for the evidence. You have to look for witnesses. Hello? Am I, am I got anyone? So that brings me to my next point, evidence. 23,000 archaeological digs directly related to the Bible, both Old and New Testaments. Um, there's a picture going to come up up there, just so you don't get bored. Have a look at that. I'm going to Israel in November. Tell them that the Bible isn't true. You know, go. I haven't been to Israel before, but I have been to Greece, been to Ephesus. I've been to the Isle of Patmos. You know, I've been to Cyprus. Tell them that the Bible times aren't real. It all happened and you can go there and you can see these things. The Temple Mount, for goodness sake, the Temple Mount screams out to the whole world. You know, a story that's written in these pages and a history, a rich history. You know that secular archaeologists use the New Testament like a guide map. Um, There's a top 10 for archaeological finds every year as far as the Bible goes. A top 10 because there's so many of them. You know, Jesus once said when he came into Jerusalem and the people were crying out to him, Hosanna, you know, that he was God. And he said to them, if you quieten these people, the stones, the rocks (laughs) will cry out. They will have a voice because it's so much the truth. I'm telling you, the rocks... The rocks are crying out. You know, when secularism and humanism want to come in and say that this life is all there is, you know, there's no life outside of this, you know, I believe that's why the... And they're trying to stop our voice because, um, you know, they want to discredit what we're saying. The rocks are crying out, I'm telling you, in a prolific way. Even in, I have to quickly say, even in Mosul, in recent, in the tragedy of the war in Syria... One of the last things that ISIS did was blow up the, the, mount, the mount where Jonah's tomb is. And the thought was that they would find all these artefacts there and be able to sell them to help fund their cause. Um, they, didn't, they ravaged them, but they didn't take all of them. And so they're looking through now all this stuff from Jonah's tomb and from the <laughs> place around. It's not a... You know, tell them that's a fairy story. You know, and as we begin to have access into the Middle Eastern countries now, we're going to be able to see that even our Old Testament is rich. You know, our Bible knows what it's talking about. It's going to be backed up 100% by our 
archaeology. I believe the Bible's true because it is a reliable source, a, a collection of historical documents. It was uh, written by eyewitnesses during the you know, lifetime of other eyewitnesses. And it, 23,000 archaeological digs back up and confirm that it's true. It also contains over 2,000 predictions that have been fulfilled with 100% accuracy. 100%, 2,000 predictions. The Bible is clear when it comes to prophecy. It said if someone's prophetic word doesn't come true, then it's a false prophecy. They're not a prophet. But the Bible, only God knows the future, doesn't he? So when um, Jesus was on the cross, and in that moment of all what he had been through, um, the suffering that he'd been through and the torture that he'd been through, he had the presence of mind to say, my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? And I believe out of time and space, let's step out of time and space, and the living word spoke what he'd inspired David to, to prophetically write in Psalm 22. And in Psalm 22, you have in writing a thousand years before crucifixion was even invented, a detailed uh, account of Jesus, what Jesus suffered on the cross. This is not a fairy story. How's your confidence going? Is it growing? Are you getting a little bit more bold as we go along uh, about that? No other religious writing contains prophecy. Only God knows the future. I believe the Bible's true because of the supernatural knowledge that's contained in its pages. Things that they would never have known thousands of years ago that we thought were rubbish. It tells us that the earth is a sphere. It talks about space. It talks about biology. And it talks about physics. It talks about sanitation and viruses. Uh, thousands of years ago, we're just catching up now. And the more we do, the more we realise some intelligence far beyond a human one penned these words in this book the bible can defend itself it has done for 2,000 years it's still here uh, it's been attacked uh, and tested like nothing else but yet it's still the most widely read and published book in the world so the resistance to the authority of scripture is not new but the angle can be different and I want to just finish by talking about one of those angles and that is the issue of relevance people you might be able to talk them through and say yeah all right I, I get that all right I can see yep it's as valid as a historical document but is it relevant for me today because for us as Christians we believe that God's word is living and active it's not like my suitcase here all right oh it's heavy in this suitcase is my collection of Agatha Christie novels <laughs> Okay, I started reading them as a young teenager. My mum had, I read whatever she had in a wardrobe. Do you remember that, Dad? All mum's books in the wardrobe. And I used to be fascinated with the pictures. And I used to think, one day I'm going to read those. And I could read in kindergarten, apparently. So reading was a big thing for me. And, but I've read them all. <laughs> okay, so they're locked away because they remind me a bit of my mum. And, and her and I both love reading. But I don't get them out and read them again because it's old, stale bread to me. I've read them all. 
And as soon as I start reading, I might think it's new, but then it all starts coming back and it loses its, you know, mystery and I let it go. This thing I've been reading for a long time and never loses its mystery. Um, And that to me is a symbol of how our Bible is alive and it's fresh bread and it's fresh manna. And if you've been Christian for any length of time, it gets more valuable the time you get, the older you get. And the time that you used to struggle to read God's word in your 20s and fit it in and, and all of that, it becomes a high priority in your older years. And it's like fresh manna and fresh day. It never gets old. It's alive and it's living and it can relate to us in our culture, in our time of history. And I'm going to give you a quick five things that these are just from me. I've learned, because understanding cultural relativity, so a thing's going to come up here, and these are all things that help us when we're reading the Bible. One says genre. That means, of course, you don't read a poem the same way that you would read a letter, would you? So understanding genre is really good. And understanding the Psalms, I think it's the next slide, up there, and the last thing it says, and context is really good. We all know people have been taken out of context. It's in the news all the time. That's what we can do with scripture. We can take things out of context. So we need to understand that. But the one I want to talk about today is culture, because this is the one that's under attack now. It said not relevant anymore to our culture and the time that we live in. So when we believe that the authority of the Bible. We need to learn to hear the meaning in the text um, and that meaning for our own life and the times in which we live. So this becomes a challenge. So to know what is cultural and what, what stays in the first century and what is the message and what translates to our culture. So the first thing for me is identify the core message of Scripture. What's in the core? This is what I say that is what's important. What counts when it comes to eternity? Okay, and things that are in the core for me are the things that relate to all of us. We are all sins, the Bible says. So sin and the fall uh, are in that core. The redemption uh, message of Jesus Christ is in that core. And if anyone's in the center of that core, he is. Okay, Jesus is right in the center of that core. And our salvation by faith in what he has done for us on the cross is in that core, okay, uh, of Christianity. Other things are peripheral to that. Do you understand me? Like, say for instance, um, baptism. It's on the peripheral of that. It doesn't mean it's not important. It's certainly important. Spiritual gifts. It's on the peripheral. I lived... How many lives of my Christian Christian life? 25 years not knowing about spiritual gifts. Did that make me not saved? Absolutely not. You know, um, things like speaking in tongues, they're on the peripheral. They're things you do and embrace as a journey of a disciple, but the core remains strong. If we concentrated on the core, we would see that in most of our evangelical churches, we have more that unites us than we have that divides us. Our core is strong and solid in Christ. And so I always bring that into when I'm understanding Scripture. What is peripheral? Um, 
So if we start bringing the peripheral into the centre, that's when we get in trouble. That's where someone like Debbie might start believe that if I don't take communion, I'm not saved. If I'm not baptised, I'm not saved. What does that do? It condemns people. And then we have a lot of questions because you think, well, the thief in the cross didn't have time to have communion. He didn't have time to get baptised and he certainly didn't have time to speak in tongues. And they're all things that people have added to the core. But it's not the core. It's a blessing and it's important, but it's outside of the core. All right, use common sense. Okay, when you read a letter, I know you already do this. Because you don't say, you don't read things like, go and greet Priscilla and Aquila. You don't think, oh, where's Priscilla and Aquila? I've got to go and find them and greet them. No, your brain automatically filters that as part of the letter. And what you're looking for is the message. And, you, and when Paul says to Timothy, fan into flame the gift of God that's in you, you can receive that as God's word for you in today's day. Think about what, when I think about scripture and I'm interpreting scripture, I think about what is inherently moral and what is not. By that I mean things like that have a consistent witness in scripture from the beginning to the end. We know that Jesus does not let you off as far as telling the truth goes and honesty is a consistent witness in scripture. He's, and drunkenness, things like that. The, the message doesn't change throughout Scripture. Adultery, if anything, Jesus heightens some things in Scripture, doesn't he? And propels those things that are inherently moral to a higher ground and he actually drops off other things that would have shocked people of the day. Food doesn't matter. Now, you, you might be on a healthy regime and God might have led you into that. Fantastic. But don't use that. Don't bring that into the core, okay? That's important for you to be healthy, but it's not in the core. And Jesus was very clear of that. He said, what goes into the mouth and into the stomach and out of the body, that's, that's normal food. <laughs> it's what goes into the heart and what comes out of the heart that counts. And by saying that, the Bible says he made all food clean. Okay, so food's out of the core, that's, that's good. And a lot of the religious things that had become prominent, that had come into the core and eroded the truth and the, the grace of the message, you know, he, he just wiped them out, made sure they were out of the core. Look for consistent witness is what I said. Can I just say one? Hair. You know, like in the New Testament, people get all tripped up about the passage about having long hair. You know, the boys shouldn't have long hair. Um, it says, you know, the boys shouldn't have long hair and that for women, their long hair are given to them as a covering and then they shouldn't pray or prophesy with their hair uncovered. Now, for many years, I went to a church that believed that and they wanted the women to have their head covered, but they didn't really care about the previous verses about praying and prophesying as a woman, like it was right there in the same context. But I didn't really care about that. And I used to think, what is prophesying? Because I didn't even know about it. Um, but apparently that was culturally swept away, but that one was hung on to. So we've got to be careful. We've got to have a consistency there. And we know that in the Old Testament, Jesus' actually instru instruction in Leviticus was for them not to cut their hair. So when we have a seeming inconsistency like that, okay, New Testament place, um, boys, 
don't have long hair, girls don't have short hair. Um, we, and, and have your head covered and all of that. We go back into the Old Testament, it's different. We, have, we know we're dealing with a cultural thing when it comes, when, when there's an inconsistent and we need to do a little bit of digging, we need to know our context, we need to know the time in which it was written. We can't bring those things into the core. It honestly, it causes small little things like that cause division because now we know, don't we? Hair means nothing. Does, does hair mean anything in our culture? No, it doesn't. <laughs> it, hair doesn't mean anything. If someone has long hair, that doesn't mean they're disrespectful. It doesn't mean that at all. And if a woman has short hair, amen, um, Wynette. We know it doesn't mean that she's not respectful to God's word, does it? It doesn't mean anything in our culture anymore. But the message is the same. Be respectful. God's king. So, my other thing is, the Bible is a mirror. First of all, make it a mirror. And then, don't worry about what everyone's doing. Work out what you believe and live to it. The best way you can show people that Jesus is real is to be authentic, to live your life like him. Oh, this year I've been reading this Passion Translation in my quiet time. And it's the New Testament, Psalms and Proverbs. I just want to be like him. If we all were, imagine it, imagine it. You know, no one can criticise Jesus Christ for how he stood to what he believed in. And that's, don't worry about using this to understand everything know everything and, and, and judge that person or that church all our churches should be working together um, to bring a beautiful picture of a whole you know um, of Jesus Christ use it as a mirror and help it shape our hearts because then people might have a bit of an idea of what Jesus Christ might be like and so um you know, yesterday, I was telling you at 8 o'clock, Jay and Emma got married. And it was absolutely beautiful, stunning. We need to pray for all of our young married couples, okay? You still need prayer, even though after the wedding, after everything's beautiful, you need prayer. Because getting one, becoming one's a painful process. Anyway, <laughs> I know, after 35 years. So this Bible is only new, okay? It's only new and doesn't it look beautiful? It reminds me of Jay and Emma who just got married, okay? This Bible isn't so new. Look at it. And I have to show you that. <laughs> look at it. It's a little bit old and shabby around the edges. There's sticky tape in there. There's <laughs> pen and paper and you know, some pages are ripped. Um, that's my 35-year-old marriage. <laughs> but who, what one do you want? Really? What one do you really want? Even when it comes to, to Jesus, it's a marriage. It's an intimacy. We can know God because Jesus made him known. That was what he said he was here for, to make the Father known. You can know him enough to be extremely intimate with him um, through the scriptures. 
And so eventually, hopefully, that one will look like that again. But we all want this, don't we? We all want this because it says years, years of, I know, relationship, years of working through things. I'm going to finish with a quote, you know, because you won't know everything and you're not meant to know everything. Sometimes you just have to wait for an answer. You know, recently I was talking with one of the one of my I'll say brothers in Christ in church and we were discussing scripture. And um, you know, it was about Jesus death on the cross and that it was for once and for all. And God just put it on my heart and I just kept pondering about that Jesus sacrifice was once for all. How amazing that sacrifice was that it covered the sin of all mankind forever and a day. And then I remembered something I had had struggle with in the Old Testament. It was when Moses wasn't allowed to go into the promised land because he'd struck the rock twice. (laughs) He struck the rock and water came out. But embedded through our scriptures is a picture. God was creating a picture because he's God. And interwoven in the lives of that people of Israel is a picture of his son. And his son is the rock that we have our faith on. And his sacrifice was sufficient for us once and for all time. And as a picture of his son, it wasn't a good picture. God didn't have to strike the rock twice. He only had to strike the rock once. And that's our Jesus. Okay. Brad Hagen said this great quote to our young people. I'm just so chuffed I get to say it before Mark does. Um, And he was talking to our leaders and he said, being able to move forward without all of the answers is essential as a leader. And I would say it's essential as a Christian. Moving forward and trusting God without having all the answers straight up. And his quote was this, if God can't trust you with mystery... He can't trust you with revelation. Okay. I'm just going to say a prayer for us this morning. And my prayer is going to be that your confidence will come back to the word of God. Confidence and boldness come back um, that you can trust the word of God, but that you can interact with it for life, for your life. And in your relationship with God. And that God will give us the hand, ability to handle the mystery through the presence of his Holy Spirit. So let me pray for you. Oh, Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that we sent him to show us what you were like. And you are amazing. You are wonderful. You are integrous. You are consistent. You are truthful. And you are full of grace and love and mercy, peace, all the things, all the qualities that our world needs. Oh, Lord, fill us up with more of you. May we be more like you. So that as we interact with the pages of your word, your living word, that you might shape us to be more like you. 
and people might get to see how wonderful you really are. And while we've got our eyes closed, church, I don't know if there's anyone here who hasn't made a decision um, to make Jesus Christ Lord of their life. It's a big decision. It's a big decision to put your faith and trust in Christ because your life's no longer your own from that moment on. You're handing over the reins to someone else, to Jesus Christ. But I want to tell you, you're handing over the reins to the one who formed the earth with his words. You're handing over the reins to the one who's pursued you and has worked it all out and understands the universe and understands your life. And so if there's anyone here this morning and you'd like to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you've never done that before, um, but today you just feel God's knocking on that door of your heart, you know, I want to give you that opportunity. I'm just going to ask if you've raised your hand this morning, I'll see it. You're not really raising it to me, to Donna, and saying hi, but you're really saying yes to God. You know, is there anyone here this morning that needs to say yes to God? That they can trust Him? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for listening. We hope you have enjoyed this message. For more information, please visit macroylifechurch.com.au.